0: in uh, 1 Kings 16, chapter 16 and 17, actually the last couple of works verses of 16, then we'll go into 17, of chapter of 1 Kings, we're going to talk about a, a man that we're all familiar with, and actually this is about the first, first part where he, uh, Elijah is what we're going to talk about tonight, is where he comes on the scene, and it's... Uh, It's kind of interesting because Elijah just was one of the most colorful characters in the Old Testament, and he just suddenly appears, all of a sudden, he's there, and then all of a sudden, he's taken away in a chariot. So we have very limited uh, Bible time, space anyway, that's actually given to him, but while he was here, for however long that was, he left a big mark on, on history. And he's mentioned more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament character, so he really left a mark there. And all of us, you know, we'd like to have uh, Elijahs. We always say, "I want the Elijahs anointing or a double portion like Elisha wanted that he got." And uh, I think if you ask for one today, you can get it. <laughs> so, but but everybody always refers to Elijah. But James five seventeen says Eli- Elijah was a human, was as human as we are. See, sometimes we have a tendency to put Bible characters or pastors or great men of God up on a high pedestal, thinking that they're, you know, they're greater and more something than anybody else is. But the reality is there's no different than we are. They have the same kind of temptations. They have the same kind of uh, depression sometimes. Because even people in great ministries, they get get depressed sometimes. And they have all the same issues that, that everyone else has. But see, if you read the Bible, that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, doesn't he? Because all he needs is somebody that's available. And Elijah was available, and if we're available, then God can do extraordinary things through us if we'll just become available to God. I want to be available to God, don't you? I want him to use me in a way that maybe, I don't know, I don't care what it is. If it's an Elijah usage, that's fine too. Because, you know, I want to be transfigured like Elisha was too, won't you? <laughs> I want to go to heaven when the Lord comes the rapture. Then we don't have to worry about dying. That'd be nice too. So, but anyway, we're going to talk about him tonight. In 1 Kings, the 16th chapter, uh, verses 29 and 30, it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Wow! Now that's quite a statement. He did more evil than anyone that was before him. Whew. I wouldn't want that tacked on to my name. I'd like to have him have him say she did more righteous things for God than anybody else, but not evil. But Ahab was a very wicked man, and he married Jezebel, and Jezebel was a very wicked woman. She was so wicked that we have we today use her name as a symbol for evil. We call people "you Jezebel." <laughs> And everybody knows what they mean, because that's the synopsis with evil. Well, he married her, and he was wicked, but he was a wimp. (laughs) Ahab was. And so Jezebel basically ruled the kingdom. She's the one that had the power. She was the one that that made all the decision, and Ahab just kind of agreed with whatever that she wanted to do. Now, Ahab married Jezebel, and marrying from where where Jezebel came from was forbidden. They weren't supposed to marry outside of the nation of Israel because God knew that if they started marrying outside the nation, that they'd also accumulate their gods and they'd start worshiping their gods. And isn't that what happened over and over again? Now, Israel by themselves, so they hadn't had all these other foreigners with them, these foreign women pulling them down, they might have, you know, might not have worshiped other gods. Of course, when they came out of Egypt, they were used to idol worship and that, and they kind of brought that with them. Too. But God knew that if he married these women outside from these heathen nations, that they would draw them to, to heathen worship. So that's why God forbid it. And uh, we know that even today in our own times. God says, don't all be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And yet, what do we do? We have a whole nation of Christians, or not a whole nation, but a whole group of Christians, a whole de- uh, generation of Christians that marry nonbelievers and thinking, well, I'll, they'll get saved after we get married. Well, you can have all that faith you want, but generally that's a very rare situation. Usually, it's the other way around. Usually, they pull you away from God. And if you love that person so much, <laughs> and if you love that person so much, then give them an ultimatum. Say so you get saved. I remember one guy that from the church we used to go to. He was a very godly man, and he was. I don't know why he was even dating a non-Christian woman, anyway. But he was. She went to church once in a while, I guess, but she wasn't a Christian. And she, he went with her. She said, I'm sorry, i got to break up with you. I can't go with you anymore. And she said, why? She, he says, because you're not a Christian. Now, if you want to get saved, then I'll continue seeing you. If not, goodbye. Well, she got saved. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, we need to make ultimatums. But it's best if we don't even get involved in that environment because it saves us that problem. Because they'll pull you away from God no matter what our good intentions are that we have. And we need to realize that. And God has those, those rules not because he wants to be a mean ogre we like to, you know, don't you wish you could choose your kids as friends when they were growing up? You know, we can't do that because and they have these friends, they bring these, these friends home and you know they're nothing but dirt bags. And you say, we don't want you seeing them anymore because we know that they pull them down. They pull them into their world and into their environment. And you take a bunch of good kids and let them hang around with a bunch of bad kids. And pretty soon you're going down to the, to the courthouse with your kids. Because I don't care how good you are or whatever, you just most generally, most people can't hang around that environment and be strong enough to endure it. That's the reality of it. So it's easier for God to say, don't do it, than say, well, I'm going to get them saved. I'm going to witness to them. I'm going to go here and I'm going to witness to these people. Uh Uh-huh, right. I'm going to the bars and I'm going to witness to people. Yeah, about the third drink, you'll forget why you was there. (laughs) So anyway, and that's kind of the situation that was, in, was going on at this time. Now, Jezebel, what her desire was to make Baal worship, the whole worship of the nation. That was her. That's what she worshipped. She was a Baal worshiper, and that's what she wanted to do in the nation of Israel. So, so her desire was to, to get rid of everybody that interfered with her with her God and their worship. Only difference is they weren't like us Christians that we tolerate other people's religions. They believed that the only way to get rid of the other religions is to kill them. And so that's what she did. She killed all the people that uh, she could because they were the biggest threat to her religion becoming the national religion of Israel, was the prophets of God. And so she killed them. And she destroyed them and every chance she get. Now, she didn't like Elijah anyway. But see, Elijah's name meant God is Yahweh. So this just infuriated this woman because his name was God is Yahweh. So every time you mentioned Elijah's name, you were saying God is Yahweh or God is God. Basically, God is the only God. And here she is trying to promote her own religion, and she can't because God is Yahweh is interfering with it. So I can just see her every time somebody says, Oh, God is Yahweh is out in the wilderness preaching, or God is Yahweh is over here. Man, it probably just drove her crazy probably ripped her hair out, and man, she just wanted to see him dead so bad because she hated this guy. <laughs> and so Elijah was a man of courage during that period of time. Now, this period of time that um, he lived in of Israel, that it was a prosperous time, politically and financially. It was very blessed at that time, even though they had gotten away from God to a certain degree, it was still a prosperous, prosperous time for them. And Elijah was a man of courage. And uh, in 1 Kings verse 7, chapter 17, verse, verse 1, it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbeth in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew, no rain during the next few years until I give word. Now, any time that ordinary people go before a dignitary of any kind, I mean, I can't even imagine, I don't think Obama's going to want to invite me to the White House. I doubt that very much. But if he did, or whatever, it would be an honor to go. And you couldn't help wonder, you know, what am I going to do if you invite, you know, go to these big fancy places to eat? You wonder if you're going to use the right fork or the right spoon at the right time? And you, you know, you're concerned about these kind of things. So in our in our thinking, we can understand the apprehensions of what it'd be to go up to a king, let alone give him a message that wasn't good news. Man, anybody wants to see, hear good news. Man, you can go to anybody, they'll hear good news. They don't care, they'll get, take it from anybody. Anybody wants to, wants to tell Obama how wonderful he is, he'll sit there and listen to it. He'll read all that mail, but he won't read any with the bad news. <laughs> so, but Elijah, he had to have courage because the message that he was giving was not good news. And a lot of times when the messenger brought bad news, they'd kill the messenger. Have you ever heard that saying, kill the messenger? Well, they had the authority to do it. So, man, I wouldn't want to be a messenger back then if you got bad news because sometimes it costs you your life to have it. But he didn't care. He took courage, and he was not intimidated by King Ahab. And we need to quit being intimidated by people that we think are in a higher level than we are. See, because we're all equal. We all stand equal at the cross. There's no different cast of people. Some people have, may have more money than we have, but that's it. Nobody's any better than we are. Jesus died for them just the same as he died for us. There's, you know, God has no sect of people, no, no level of people according to this world. So people do, though. People think that they're better than other people are. But, but he went to Ahab, and he didn't care. And he told the king, and he says, it's not going to rain, and there isn't even going to be any dew on the ground. Now, back in, the, in Israel, and they even do this today Is when because they don't have a lot of rain and a lot of water over there. What they do is they put rocks all in their fields. You know, in America, we plow and we take out the rocks. <laughs> but there, they put them in the rocks purposely, and you'd see them all scattered over there. and you wonder, what in the world? The first time we've seen that, I said, what in the world are they doing over here, planting rocks? Because it looks so odd to see all these rocks out there in the fields. And you think, man, won't they get those out or so something can grow? Well, what they do is, because there isn't very much water, they put these rocks all over the place, and then it'd get hot during the day. It'd get really hot, and then at night they'd cool off, and then they'd sweat and provide moisture to the ground. So actually, it was pretty smart to be able to do that, and that's where they get a lot of, a lot of water to water their crops and water, water their own personal gardens and things because there isn't a lot of water. And, um, and that's what they still do today over there. So he told them, not only is it not going to rain until I say so... I was like that power it's not going to rain till I say so <laughs> better make sure it's God that's telling you that <laughs> and he said there isn't even going to be any dew now that in itself would have been a miracle because when it gets hot and it cools down there's usually dew in the mornings especially over there so this was quite the thing he says you're not going to have rain and you're not going to have dew so he was basically telling him how hey, to take that to your rain god and your God of the crops and everything. Let's see how well your God does without rain. And when your crops die, let's see how weak your God Baal is. That's what he was doing. He was just in your face to Baal. You think this God is so powerful and so strong? Let's see. So he gave him the bad news, and I wouldn't have wanted to be in his shoes. But he had courage to, to, in order to do that. Now, Napoleon often referred to a martial naive. And he was considered the bravest man that he ever knew. Now, it's something for Napoleon. But this, this captain or this marshal, Nye, every time he went into, went into battle, his knees would shake so hard, so he'd be so scared that he'd shake, and he couldn't hardly get up on his horse. And then when he get up on his horse, he'd yell at, yell at his knees and say, you'd be shaking even more if you knew where I was taking you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, But sometimes we just have to do things afraid. It doesn't matter. We've got to learn to do that. So Elijah teaches us courage to speak the word of God regardless of the circumstances. Because when we do, God will take care of us. And if not, the flip side is we get to go to heaven, right? Let's see. We speak God's word. God's God's glad. If they don't like it, we get to go to heaven earlier or God protects us, one or the other. So we can't lose. So Elijah Elijah also teaches us to be obedient. Now, obedience is to do what God says when he says it without arguing or second-guessing. Even when it doesn't make sense or it isn't pleasant, we need to, like Nike says, just do it. <laughs> we need, That's what Elijah was. He didn't question anything that God told him to do. And I guess that's why he, got, he was so popular with God. And since he, because he was so, such a powerful prophet of God, it's because he's obedient. He did every single thing that God told him to do, even if it didn't make any sense. And we see in these other verses, some of these other verses, we're going to see how much sense it didn't make. In uh, verses, verse 2 of 17... It says, then the Lord said to Elijah, "Go to the east and hide by the Kidron brook, near where it enters the Jordan river. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you to bring you. I have commanded them to bring you food." So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kidron brook at east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook, but after a while the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now, if God told you to do that, would you just go? I don't know what he thought in his mind, but I'm, I'd be saying, Lord, ravens? Come on, really? Ravens? Where are they going to get the food? Where are they going to get the bread? Where are they going to get the water? Come on. And why ravens? Those are dirty birds. <laughs> why not a nice dove or, or something that looks a little nicer? But he didn't question. He just went there. Just immediately went and sat there and waited for his dinner. And his breakfast just sit there and waited at the brook until the brook dried up. And then he stayed there until God told him to do something else. See, we as Christians, we get in a lot of trouble because we go, God tells us to do something, and we haven't heard him again for a while, and we keep thinking, well, man, what am I doing? So we go and do something else that God didn't tell us to do, and we get in trouble. See, we need to learn that God God tells us to do something. You keep doing that until he tells you to do something else. That seems simple enough. Even though if it doesn't make sense like this, didn't make any sense. didn't make any sense to me at all. But Elijah went without complaining or questioning anything at all. And in verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a woman there, to fe- a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath." As he arrives at the gate of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die." But Elijah said to her, "'Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, "'There will always be flour and oil left in your containers "'until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again.'" So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Man, you know, I mean, I can obey God, but like, go and begging money or wa- uh, food from a poor widow woman doesn't have any food. I'm mean, like, that wouldn't that take a lot of guts. I mean, man, who do you think you are? You know, I could, I'd have a hard time with that one. But Elijah didn't question; he didn't care. That's what God said. He says, "Go make me some food." They her, yeah, go her. Told her to go make me some food. And she'd sit there, man, what are you talking about? You know, like we would, man, this is all I got, and you want me to give you some first? If I give you some first, I won't have any. <laughs> See, but what's God's plan? What's God's plan? You give God his first, and he always makes the rest last. <laughs> We're not faithful in giving things to him. He can't make what, what's last, what last or bless what we haven't given to him. So the woman, you know, of course, she knew that, recognized that Elijah was a prophet because prophets dress differently. You know, it'd be easier. You know, of course, we have some people that dress differently in our, in our society. Your fathers are Catholic priests. They dress differently so you can instantly identify them by, the, by their collars and that. But it'd be nice if all of us Christians could dress up and everybody know he's Christians. Yeah. yeah. Of course, then the bad thing about it would be because everybody would know he's Christians. <laughs> and sometimes being a Christian gets in the way, doesn't it? If I didn't have that bumper sticker on my car, I'd sure like to say something. Or if I didn't have that necklace around my neck, I'd sure like to say something. I'd sure like to tell them a thing or two for cutting me off. Hide your bumper sticker. Go out there, peel it off, and I'll catch him on the downside, you know. <laughs> go around the parking lot, and then I'll tell him. But he was obedient, and the woman believed him. And he didn't question anything that God told him to do. See, our motto as Christians should be, Ours is not to reason why, ours is just to comply. See, when we start asking questions, we get in trouble. Because when we start asking questions, then we start thinking about the possibilities, and then doubt enters our mind. We start thinking about all the things that could happen, or all that could go wrong. We never think about what could go right, do we? Always, what could go wrong if I do this? Now, if I'm Elijah, I'm going there looking for this widow. I'll say, well, what if she doesn't give me anything to eat after I ask her? Then, what am I going to do? He didn't expect that. He always expected that what would happen is what God said would happen. She's going to feed you, so he didn't have a problem. He knew that was God's will, and here I go. I'm doing it. Obedience at its height, and so we need to learn. We learn uh, uh, obedience from him. <clears throat> Even though things don't make, it, make any sense from a physical standpoint, we need to make sure that we, uh, we let God tell us what to do and then do it, regardless, without questioning, without whether it makes any sense. Just do it. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, this widow demonstrated that type of faith. I'm surprised she isn't in the, the hall of faith in, in this chapter. Because she demonstrated a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to give everything you have to somebody that's a man of God because they said so, said make me some first and your oil will never, not run, never run out and the flour will never run out. Can you see her down there making, making this uh, bread or making this stuff and you take some out and put it in there and it's still there? Do you see that? In the oil, you get it out and there's still some there. Man, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? But See, God can do that. I've had God do that in our lives in when, I was, in when I was younger. I've had him create things, you know, the things stretch. You know, you're about to run out of gas somewhere and there's no gas station anywhere. Of course, this is before all these credit card stuff that they have. Now you can get gas 24 hours a day and, and those kind of things. And you're wondering, man, am I going to make it to the gas station? And, and I remember one time I run out of gas. And I no sooner sputtered, sputtered, sputtered to the side of the road and a guy pulled over the side and told me 25 miles to the gas station. I mean, I just barely run out of gas. <laughs> you know, so God does do things. So I got 24, I got a lot of miles to the gallon, that, that tank of gas, you know. But they pulled me a long ways, but I no sooner sputtered than there was somebody there. And that's what God's plan is. He will make the things go and, and make our, our money. Sometimes you sit there and you look at your finances, you wonder, how in the world is God going to stretch this little bit of money in this economy? But when we're faithful to God, God is faithful to us, and He makes it stretch. I don't know how he does it. I just know that he does. All of a sudden, if you're, if you're down on the, your last dollar, all of a sudden your aunt or somebody will send you some money that you weren't expecting or somebody's, or, or give you back some money that they borrowed that you forgot about. Of course, it's kind of hard to forget about somebody borrowing money. But it could happen. Miracles happen. But see, God takes care of us if we're faithful and we're obedient to him. <clears throat> now, I'm remembering, reminded of this <clears throat> show these used to be on... I don't remember whether you saw it or not. It's called The World's Greatest Dog. It's the only reality TV show I watched, and it was really good. It was about dogs, trying to figure out who was the the greatest dog. And it only lasted one season. I thought it was more popular than any of that other stuff you could watch, because, you know, the dogs were kind of cool. But in this one thing that the the dogs had to do, the owners took their dogs up to this 10-foot platform, and they put them in a harness, and they went down to the bottom of this 10-foot platform, platform, and they had the dog jump to them. Now, I'm thinking, you know, the dogs can see. I mean, you know, dogs can see distance, you know. But I was very surprised that almost every single one of those dogs jumped into the air, into the owner's arms, because they knew that their owner would catch him. Even though it was an unknown thing, something they'd never done before, they did it, because they had a confidence and trust in their owner and their master, and they knew that he would take care of them, and They did. Well, that's what God wants us to do. Sometimes we need to jump off into the unknown and let God catch us and believe that he will catch us. See, we're afraid to jump out or take a step of faith because we're afraid that we'll fail or we're afraid that what happens if it doesn't work? Well, what happens if it does? <clears throat> See, we're always looking at the negative. We're trained to live, look in the negative. But God looks in the positive, and all the things that happen to our life are just a little bit of step, little step, little steps of faith that God wants us to take from here to here to here to here. See, he doesn't give us the whole thing. Of course, our goal is heaven, but he doesn't show us the whole path. He just shows us a little bit at a time. That's why, you know, when you light your path, it's only what you can see when you're in dark. You don't shine a flashlight out there. You shine it right here where you're walking. And that's where God wants to guide you. He wants to light up your path, guide your path as you go. And God wants to do that in our lives. <clears throat> in verse 17 and 18, it says, Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sin and kill my son? Blame game. Every time something happens, who gets blamed? God or the man of God? <laughs> That's the first thing that happened. Have you come here to kill my son for my sin? See, she knew she'd sinned sometime. And back then they figured if bad things happen in your life, it was because of sin. They didn't understand that bad things happen sometimes even when there is no sin. They didn't understand that. And here she had, she let all her guards down. Man, she had all the flour and oil she wanted, all the food that she needed, all the stuff that she needed for the whole time during the, the famine. She didn't have to worry about it. So she's sitting back there and enjoying life and while everybody else around them is suffering. And s- the wickedness of some people affects the innocent sometimes. You know that? There are a lot of people <clears throat> because of the leadership. In this case, the leadership was wicked. And so the people, <clears throat> the people uh, suffered because of it. And sometimes when we have wicked rulers, we suffer because of it. So, but she says to the man of God, did you come to kill my son? Now, that'd be a crazy thing. Why would a guy want to kill her to kill her son? But you, gotta, you have to have some kind of an explanation. We always have to know why, and we've got to have somebody to blame when bad things happen. And God is handy, or the man of God, in this case, was, happy, was handy. <clears throat> in verse 19, it says, but Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and revived. Then Elijah brought him down to the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Now I think that the the flour not running out and the oil not running out would have have done it for me. (laughs) But sometimes when we're in the... uh, we're not expecting him. We go through a trial, and we finally make it through this one situation in our life, and we kind of relax. We let our guard down, and wham, we get hit with something even worse. And then we look around for some, someone to blame. Who do we blame when things go bad? We blame, usually blame somebody, or we hopefully we don't, but uh, if you're going to blame anybody, it's better talk it over with God and say, God, what's, what's going on? What's going on here? I don't understand this. <clears throat> don't have to understand to know the things in this life. And I'm glad we don't have to understand understand everything because we never will. If we have to understand something, we're in deep trouble because we'll never understand what's going on in this world. I don't understand how people can can see our history and say this isn't isn't a Christian nation. I don't understand how that this nation can say it's okay to kill babies. I have no idea why they do this. I can't. It just blows my mind how they do this stuff. So, but uh, the widow had to give her son to Elijah. Now that, you know, if you've ever lost a child or be around a mother that's lost a child, last thing they want to do is let go of that child. They just hang on to them like, you know, grim death because that's their, that's their child. And for this child to die, it wasn't just like, you know, it's bad enough to lose a son, but this was a widow woman. Now if she lost her son, that was her only means of support, her son, because the, you know, the sons were required to take care of their mothers. And if this son died, she had no one to take care of her, no one to go out and work and make a living that, that was necessary. So this was a devastating blow to her. But she had to give Elijah her son. And when we have a big situation in our life, we have to give it to God. He shouldn't have to pry him out of our hands. We should be willingly willing to give him to, give him to God. Now, Elijah, he took the child up to his room. Now, why, why did he take him up to the room? I don't think the the little widow woman had enough faith to believe that that this child would live again. He had to lock the unbelief downstairs or in another area of the house so he could pray. Because he said, God, why did you take this child? Well, I think it was so his name could be glorified. Every time bad things happen, it's because God wants us to be glorified through the situation. The question is, do we glorify God? Or do we bring a curse upon God? or people looking at God and say, Oh, are you a Christian? You acted like that? Mm, I don't want to hear that. I want to bring glory to, to God. And I think that that's what the situation is. And every time God did a wondrous act, it was so his name would be glorified so that they know that he truly was God. And that's what he was, trying to, he was showing. But she had to give him her son. And then Elijah, as great as Elijah was, he, prayed, he had to pray more than once. Of course, I don't know. I'd be kind of a uh, thing trying to pray for somebody to raise the dead. That'd be kind of a challenge, I think. And he laid on the child, hand to hand, face to face. Three times he prayed. And I thought, wow, I don't understand anything. I just know what the Bible says. And the Bible says after the third time, the child was revived. And that was an exciting day. Man, you see it? Goes down there and whew, whew, whew. thank you, Jesus. Have you ever done that? Thank you, Jesus, when he works something out for you thank you, Jesus, took her down, and he gave her, to the, gave her to the mother, and the mother says, now I know you're a man of God. Well, I think that it shouldn't have taken something like raising the dead to know they're a man of God. Should have had a little more faith than that. But she didn't, but God, uh, <clears throat> but, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. So we have to give our problems to God in order for him to meet the needs, because as long as we're hanging on to him, he can't take care of the problem. As long as we're hanging on to him, he can't do anything with them. We have to give them to him. And then God can take care of the situation. And I know we say we do that. We come to the altar, so we pray in our, pray at home. And we say, here, I give you this, God. But we have our problems kind of like on a yo-yo string. And we kind of like this. And then as soon as we come back, we go, and there it comes back up to us. So we need to take our problems and leave them there. And every time that the devil tries to bring that situation in our mind, then we need to just clean it out and say, no, I've given that to God. God's going to work it out. He's going to trust. I trust him to work it out. Maybe not the way we want him to. See, that's the problem. We have a lot of situations. We already have a way that we th- we want God to work out the situation. And we need to be open to the fact to let God know what's best and let him work it out the way that he wants. And see, this is the same God in the Old Testament that is in the New Testament. The only difference is we have a greater access to God. Back then, only the, uh, um, the prophets... And kings and different people like that had access to God like we do. Man, we have a open-door policy with God. Man, that's great. We forget how blessed we are to have that. But see, and the God's no difference. If he, he can take care of this little little widow woman in this story, he can take care of us today. He isn't required. He isn't bound by the economy of our nation. He isn't required to have to punch a clock. We, If God can take care of her, he can take care of us. In Matthew 6, These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. We may live in the midst of spiritual and moral famine in this nation, because we are. There's a moral famine here, because the, not because that it not available, it's because they've refused it. But it doesn't matter because God will take care of his people. He'll take care of us. We have promises that he will take care of us as long as we do what he's asked us to do. God will take care of us. But we can't expect him to do things if we haven't done the if before the thing. Always got to take care of the if first. And if we seek God and seek him first, he'll meet all our needs. He'll meet all the problems, all the situations in our life and we have to trust him no matter what it is. If we can trust him. God protects, he provides, and he's powerful enough to do it. And even in the midst of death, God can breathe life. So even though our situation seems like it's, there's no hope, God can breathe life into our problems and into our lives and into any situation that we have if we just give it to him. Say, God, I trust you. I know that you're going to work this out. I don't know how, I just know you're going to. And give it to God because he can raise the dead. He's done it enough times. If we need the dead raised, I guess God will do it. But if I pray for the dead to be raised, you can bet it's going to be God. (laughs) Amen? Let's pray.